Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Beyond the Art podcast. Once again, today I'm here with Gavin. Hey Matt, thanks for having me again. So unenthusiastic. Well, I, I, I appreciate the introduction every time and I'm, you know, I'm always happy to be back. It's just, you know, business as usual. Uh, yep, I guess so. And the other guest we have today is Yash. What's up, y'all? Yep. So uh, today we're just going to be talking about the DeJounte Murray trade. Um, and honestly, this might be the marquee trade of this offseason, like in terms of the highest or the highly talent, a highly touted player. Um, I don't really know who, maybe, Brad, maybe a Bradley Beal signs with a different team, but in terms of a trade, DeJounte Murray might be like the, or this trade might be the trade of the summer. Um, so yeah, so we'll just get into some of our initial thoughts uh, regarding what we thought about this trade. So Yash, how about you go first? Um, what did you think of this trade when it first came out? Uh, yeah, so first thoughts was, oh, I was just happy for Trey Young, happy that he gets another good player aside him. Uh, beside him, uh, rather, uh, just watching those Hawks uh, these last couple of years, my main takeaway was the fact that he has so much to do, uh, especially on the offensive end, just ha- having to create, uh, score and play, make, create offense for them and uh, him getting another partner in, in the backcourt who's able to do that uh, is, is an exciting you know, possibility as we look forward into this season. Uh, and then, then we can get into all the fit stuff, but I, I was just happy that Trey got some help. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, Hawks definitely lack just another guy that can just get into the paint. Murray's definitely that guy. Um, Gavin, how about you go next about your thoughts? Um, I, I liked it as well. I think like my initial thought, I mean, the, I just, just for, for listening purposes, the trade was DeJounte Murray goes to the Hawks and the Spurs get, Danilo Gallinari and 2023, then, oh, 2023 first round pick via Charlotte protected um, a 2025 yeah. and then a 2027 first round unprotected and then a 2026 pick swap. So yeah. Hefty, hefty uh, draft. Yeah. Pick. So, I mean, like, like Josh was saying, I mean, we'll go in the fit and um, fit and uh, like other uh, intangibles later, but like for, just in the, in the sense of a basketball standpoint i like it i like what the hawks are trying to do i mean clearly they found what they think is a generational talent in trey young and i think that's a i think that's a fair assessment at this point and when when you get a player like him you kind of push all your chips to the middle of the table and you gotta you gotta make drastic changes and you know everything Dejounte murray showed last season with the spurs he made that leap from um from his last season was was phenomenal and you can't you can't um fault them for putting putting another ball handler next to Trey Young and taking a little bit of the pressure off of him um, offensively, not just in the regular season when he's going to, it's going to be a long 72 game load, but in the playoffs too, where we saw that fatigue and being the center of a helicentric offense was really like wearing on him throughout, throughout a series. So big words right there, heliocentric. Um, But yeah, I think we definitely saw that in the Miami series with how well Miami you know, just shrunk the floor on Trey Young just because of his lack of size, um, his ability to like physically impose himself, but also like the other guys on the Hawks, like uh, Kevin Herter, like um, Bogdanovich, um, Thelon Wright had to play a lot or maybe a little too much, honestly, for um, the Hawks. But like all those guys just had trouble driving to the paint. So um, the Heat were kind of comfortable just, you know, running them off the line because they're, they're, well, besides Wright, the other two are pretty good shooters. 
Um, but they just couldn't really get into the paint well enough. No one else could really create. And, you know, DeJounte Murray at least will provide that because he's a, I think he's a very dynamic downhill player. Um, so I'll kind of go with my uh, thoughts. So at first, honestly, because I, I didn't know DeJounte Murray's game well enough, just based on last season, I just didn't watch the Spurs um, that much. But I was actually watching, I was watching some of their film today. I, was, I watched a few different games. Um, and Jonathan Murray's really, really good on me. At first I've had, there's, there's the concerns, you know, he only shot 32.7% from three last season, not that high of a volume. Um, you know, he's just not a very willing shooter. And just from a mechanical standpoint too, his shot is, it's kind of more of a slower two motion shot. Um, he, he kind of needs a bit of space. He'll take his time setting up his, uh, his jump shot. And he also jumps really far forward too. So he just, he needs a lot of space to shoot. Kind of similar to DeMar DeRozan, honestly, who he played with two years ago. Um, so there, there was that part I was a bit concerned about because I know I knew he wasn't like that great of a shooter. And if you're playing next to Trey Young, Trey Young's most likely going to have the ball in his hands. So you don't really want to take that away. And then if he's not on ball, then like what else is he doing? Um, but the more and more I dug into this, I mean, me and Gavin were talking about this a little bit before we started. Um, it was kind of like the stuff with, him being uh, like a handoff guy and like playing off ball. Cause I, I think he can really attack closeouts well. Um, and I honestly think in like those type of situations where he's coming off a handoff or attacking a closeout, it kind of takes away his weakness as an offensive player, which is his decisiveness. Sometimes he just like takes too long to like probe around or like scan the defense. Sometimes he just needs to go. And when he came off spe- uh, specifically off handoffs, he'll just turn the corner, get downhill on the big. And he has like the assortment of like, Euro stats and the floaters, and he also has the reach to like get around, get around bigs and finish. You know, so I think that handoff handoff situations would be really, really good for him. Yeah, um, I mean, I I don't know that. So obviously, like just looking at it on the on the surface level, is that it, you're adding another ball handler. But I, as as you mentioned, we were discussing that. Like, it's interesting to see how it's gonna fit around Trey Young because from a Hawks, from the, from Atlanta's perspective, you're not going to sacrifice how strong Trey Young is as a pick and ball ball handler, just to make DeJounte Murray successful on ball. Like the, what, what I mean by that is like the way you're not going to make it a trade-off where you're taking the ball out of Trey Young's hands, just because he's a better off ball player, a better off ball shooter than DeJounte Murray is. But in the same, in that same issue, same conflict is that DeJounte Murray, I mean, we were looking at it, is almost 46%. What was it? It was 46.7% of his offensive possessions were he was classified as the pick and roll ball handler. Like that's that is the main aspect of his game. He's 34.2% on catch and shoot possessions in the half court, 50th percentile, very average on all jump shot metrics and everything. And of course, there is still the handoff, um, the handoff aspect to his game. But I mean, I don't. I don't know how much that, I mean, that wasn't utilized much with the Spurs. And so, and I don't know if that's what the Hawks have in mind for him, but it's interesting to see, it will be interesting to see how Atlanta decides to balance that because Trey Young will always be an elite shooter, but just to make DeJounte Murray successful, you're not going to take the ball away from him and, and make DeJounte Murray the pri- the primary um, initiator of the offense. So I don't know. I just, in that sense, it's it'll be interesting to see what um, Atlanta decides to use him um, in different different senses when he's in with Trey Young. So, 
Yeah, uh, I agree with that. Dejounte Murray's gonna be the one in that partnership that's gonna that's most ha- that most has to change his game and more so change his approach to to the game in order to to really maximize that pairing. And I think there's a bit of a blueprint to how that could work. Matthew brought this up earlier uh, in that Dejounte has a nose for getting into the paint, uh, and there are ways of doing that without the ball, uh, like we mentioned, like handoffs, but. Uh, attack, attacking off the catch to Trey Young generates a, a plethora of advantages. He always has the defense's full attention onto him. Uh, so if DeJounte is, is willing and able to attack off the catch, uh, you know, he has a nifty handle and uh, he's pretty shifty. So he can, uh, he's able to get by like haphazard closeouts. Uh, so ways like that, utilizing him off the catch, you know, running some Chicago action for him, uh, get, getting him downhill, running off screens. Uh, Atlanta is going to need to be creative uh, with that and trying to make that pairing work because it's not super seamless, in my opinion. Honestly, I, I, I don't know if you guys might agree with this, but I actually think he might be better in this sort of not necessarily the main like guy getting all the pick and roll reps, um, I guess, type of role. Like he's not going to be like the primary guy because obviously that's going to be Trey Young, like we said. Um, but I think putting him in the situations where he's coming off handoffs, where he's attacking closeouts, like that, for me, that takes away, like, the the indecisiveness part. Because that, that was kind of the, the issue I saw offensively for him is just, you know, teams are going to go under on all his screens because, you know, he's not a good pull-up shooter at, at the three-point level. And even at the mid-range level, like, you know, he'll hit it. Um, but if he if he's like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I don't know the distance well enough. Um, but if he's not like almost in the paint for these mid-range shots, like I think the defense might be willing to concede those. So sometimes those pick and rolls would just like kind of ground to a halt because team just continues to go under and now boom, there's like no spacing because you have Jakob Hurdle and like John T. Murray literally like, standing next to each other because of how many times they like flip the screen back and forth. Um, so instead of having him do that, um, you're getting a smaller dose of pick and roll reps. Well, and he's also probably not going to have like the best defender on him either too. I think that's going to help. Um, and then when he's getting a lot of those reps too, he might be going against like second units when like Trey Young's out. So in that way, it might work out better for him. But also just him attacking off the catch, I think he's just going to be a lot better like that because he just gets straight to the point. He he gets straight to what he's good at, which is getting downhill. Uh, and he he can finish pretty well even over length too because of his he's 6'4", but he's a 6'10 wingspan. Um, and I'm pretty sure all the finishing numbers on him are all you know pretty pretty solid too. So I, I think it's going to allow him to get to that part of his game even more than he did in San Antonio. What do you guys think of that? Do you, do you guys agree with that or? Um, I mean, yeah, I think, I think that'll just, it's just going to be something that's going to be interesting. I think there's just a lot of different things they can do offensively and, and it's going to be, I, I agree with the sentiment that is like, it, it was a lot of just like teams living with going under on him. And it's like, they knew that, uh, like, DeJounte Murray, coming out of that pick and roll with Pirtle, like, the main thing he did was he was either going to he was either gonna get to the basket or it was going to be, a, like, a little pocket pass, short roll to Pirtle. Like, it was, it was highly successful, but there wasn't a lot of variation to it, and there's definitely ways that you can play that so you're kind of getting Murray stuck behind, behind Pirtle or whoever the screener was, and he was just kind of – you live with whatever shot he comes up – he coughs up, so – I, I agree with that and I think it'll be it'll be interesting. I don't know. I just I'm just curious to see how Atlanta 
will decide to use him and how how the time on ball and will be split between him and Trey Young and what Atlanta's plan for that is because I mean it'll be like you think about a time I was reading I remember re- I was reading up on this before and like they mentioned how in the back half of the 2020-2021 season when Bogdanovich would be on the floor without Trey Young and leading the second unit and he would be like a really strong like primary guy and like leading leading that unit without um without Trey Young on the floor and like maybe maybe that's what Atlanta decides to do is that it'll be like it'll be a mutually exclusive thing not saying DeJounte Murray's a second a second unit guy it's like obviously if you give up three first round picks for a guy you're not gonna bring him off the bench but where you alternate and where it's like a it's like a um there's two different um offenses in place or yeah staggering the minutes that that's the word I was lacking there. Staggering the minutes to just so that they can both play to their strengths and be able to be utilized on ball without kind of like taking something away from the other one, if that makes sense. So, you know, I, I, like, like I mentioned, there's a lot of different options. I'll be curious to see what Land does. I also should mention, I mean, you know, when you it's going to be huge for DeJounte Murray. I mean, he can only get better when you go from Jakob Pertl to John Collins, Clint Capella, you know, uh, Onyeka Okongwu, Jalen Johnson, all high flying above the rim guys. So like, you know, that's definitely going to, that's definitely going to be a helpful aspect of this game. Atlanta is not short on pick and roll big men who can, you know, vertically space and finish around the basket. If DeJounte Murray gets that advantage. So that that's another strong aspect um, from Atlanta's perspective. Yeah, I think we, we covered a lot of the dots offensively, uh, but I'm especially excited to see uh, what DeJounte can do defensively to help this team. Uh, We all know about Trey's shortcomings on that end. Um, And DeJounte was an all defense member just a couple years ago. Uh, I know it's probably slipped, slipped. He slipped on that end a little bit these last couple of years, just due to the offensive load. Uh, But with less on, on his shoulders, I'm looking forward to seeing him get back to that level uh, defensively. And uh, maybe, you know, as a, as a defender himself, maybe he helps bolster their, their culture defensively as well, um, enriching their teammates. Because uh, I think that's a team that, that struggled defensively as a unit last year too, despite having some pieces. Um, so, yeah, what are you guys' thoughts on how he fits defensively? Yeah, struggle is definitely an, definitely an understatement. They were like the worst defenses in the league. Um, while their offense rating was like number two. So yeah, if they take a, a leap there, I think Hawk, the Hawks are definitely going to be in a pretty good spot. Um, so I, I think with DeJounte, like his strength defensively is definitely his point of attack. Uh, he stays attached pretty well, fighting through screens. Um, and he's also, you know, he's 6'10 wingspan, so he can really just like hound ball handlers, just get his hands um, on a lot, of, uh, a lot of passes. Like when he's on ball too, which is like pretty tough. Just like getting deflection when you're on ball, but he's able he's been able to do that. He'll like, you know, they're trying to get like the little post entry pass. Someone's a little lazadaisical with it, boom, he just snatches it and goes. Um, so in that sense, I think he's gonna be really good. Just like they have finally someone who can navigate the point of attack. Cause I think Click Capella, like defensively, like he's a fine drop defender. Like he's I think he's pretty good. And Okongu has like probably a little more mobility too than Capella. So you have those two. So I think that's a pretty decent you know pick and roll defensive pairing um, just with Murray's point of attack and one of those two um, in some sort of uh, drop coverage or something like that so I think he'll definitely help 
in that way. And, you know, he's just like good at like event creator. Um, but my, my concern is that like, yes, he is really good on ball, but he isn't like that type of like Draymond Green, like off ball guy that's like communicating, like sending guys all over the floor, like covering up for mistakes. Cause you know, he's only six, four, you know, there's only so much you can do. And he's probably going to be on one of the better players. So he's not going to be in like that help defense position. So he's not going to really bring that much like connectivity to the Hawks, which is a bit concerning because the back line just still might not be there because um, sometimes the Hawks are just like not very attentive. So that'll be something to, to watch. Like they get a point of attack guy, but at the same time, there still might be issues just with like effort on the back line, specifically from Trey Young. So we'll see about that. Uh, yeah, I agree. I also mentioned that um, like on the defensive end, DeJounte Murray is one of the best rebounding guards in the NBA. Like he, his rebounding numbers are phenomenal for his size and for the guard position in general. And that's like, especially when you think about, you know, guys like maybe players that are not as like, like floor spacers, like um, Capella and Okongwu are getting run off the floor in the playoffs. You, you need like, then John Collins becomes your biggest guy or one of those guys in there and you need guys to go in there and get boards, you know, that can be, that could be an underrated factor for them. But I agree just uh, like in the backcourt. I mean, I was looking at it as Hawks ranked 23rd in allowing points per possession, pick and roll ball handlers. That's not, that's not surprising numbers. when you consider like the likes of Trey Young and Bogdanovich being uh, two of the main guys that were being attacked last year or, or just at least for specifically Trey Young. But um, so I think that it'll be, it'll be, it'll definitely bolster their, their, um, their backcourt defense and get it not, I mean, it's going to be hard to hide Trey Young. I mean, you know, take a play, page out of the Warriors playbook and see what you can do there. And in terms of what they do with Steph Curry and how he moves on defense, but you know, that you it can't hurt to add a, a guy like uh, DeJounte Murray on in the backcourt. So. I think Yash has something to say about comparing the Steph Curry, Trey Young as like defensive or that defensive blueprint. Uh, no, I think, I think Gavin is mostly online. It's just, uh, you know, Steph is limited on ball. He's, he's made his uh, reputation these last couple of years uh, with what he can do as a team defender. Uh, but like Gavin said, the Hawks can take a playbook or can take a, a play out of the Warriors playbook uh, with how they hide their guards. And they mostly do that with, having their backline guys like uh, Draymond, uh, Kavon Looney, Otto Porter Jr., even Andrew Wiggins for stretches this season. Uh, those guys were really the ones that were able to plug in those gaps, even when like guys like Curry and Poole uh, gave up drives on the perimeter. So like Matthew said, if they really want to take that next step, I think they're going to have to address that and get someone probably at the floor uh, who, who's able to be that backline guy that quarterback for the defense. Uh, and there's possibilities for that. You know, John Collins has been linked in trade rumors uh, and, you know, moving him for a more defensive minded guy that can, uh, that can also provide like a more scaled down role offensively, like just, just being able to shoot the ball uh, could yield positive results for them. In my opinion. Honestly, I think John Collins can be that kind of like connector defensive guy. Um, I think we saw this a bit, in their playoff run when they made the conference finals, like there was a, a commitment on the defensive end specifically from him. Um, he didn't have like the, like the greatest offensive playoffs just usage wise. Cause you know, he's, he's at the four spot. He can't really post up cause Capella's there. Um, 
and he can like kind of shoot the ball, but he's not great. He can put the ball on the floor a little bit. He's not great there. But on the defensive end, I think just because he's just such a crazy athlete, um, just overall, I think he has, he can play some sort of like off ball disruptor role. Um, but I think for the Hawks, honestly, like the issue with them is not always being committed to defending. Um, and I, I think, because remember, like, when they got rid of Lloyd Pierce, brought Nate McMillan, their defense, I think, oh, I, I don't, I don't want to make this, this guess if I don't remember correctly, but their defense must have had to be, there's some, there was some sort of jump defense, I think, and, I, and, the, and they were able to make the, like, the second, did they make, no, they, they made the conference finals, right, that year? Yes. Yep. Yeah, so they made the conference finals. There's no way you can make the conference finals if your defense was, there wasn't something there, you know. Um, they might have got, you know, good matchups, because Philly didn't have anyone that could really like attack them from the perimeter. It was a lot of post-ups, which are a bit easier to guard. And you also have a little, they have a little more size, so they could have, they could guard the Sixers better. But I think just overall, the, the Hawks like just don't have, they just don't give much effort on the defensive end. They're just not committed to being a good defensive team. If they can change that, I think there's something there. I, and I, I think it goes beyond the personnel on that end for them. Murray's going to help um, kind of bring that on, but I think it's going to have to come from internal improvement. Um, Gavin, I know you want to talk a bit about the um, the contract uh, stuff for kind of the Spurs. So you want to get into that a bit and switch gears a little bit? Well, yeah, I was just going to mention like more of the numbers side and kind of like think about what this deal meant as a from a front office perspective. So they gave up the two unprotected first round picks, which was widely like surprising throughout the league is that like, I mean, I know Zach Lowe tweeted about it is that teams rarely do that. And that's like, for Atlanta, that's sacrificing a lot, especially especially considering so DeJounte Murray is going to be an unrestricted free agent in 2024. He's owed 16 million this season, 17 million next season. So if so, he'll be he's under contract, of, of course, for the next two seasons. But if he decides to walk in 2024, that's before both of their own first round picks that they gave up will convey to the Spurs. And that I mean, that would be having given given um, those picks up and then you're getting this player back and then he walks, it's just kind of like, you know, net zero. And then you're back to square one and you're down two first round picks. All that to say, it's a huge gamble for Atlanta, but the deal for San Antonio was phenomenal. And funny enough, after we had just completed our best fits from the NBA draft podcast that I would have picked Blake Wesley or Malachi Branham as two of the top guys fit wise had this deal gone down a week earlier or before we'd done the podcast, because I think this was a great move from San Antonio. I mean, you consider what DeJounte Murray's output was this season compared to last, he made a huge leap, which was phenomenal, but his value was extraordinarily high now. And you don't, it's unclear what he's going to do past this year. And he's, he's two years, three years removed from an ACL tear. So not to say that he won't be successful with Atlanta, but, there's definitely still a lot of like, you know, a lot of work to do and see how he'll fit and, you know, what, what the Spurs want to do in terms of their team identity. So I think moving him for three first round picks plus a pick swap at this point was phenomenal business from San Antonio. And just as a side note, I like what this means for Blake Wesley, the guard from Notre Dame who San Antonio drafted at the end of the first round. I think, um, I also like it for all the other guards. I mean, Keldon Johnson, Devin Vassell, um, Malachi Branham, and then Josh Primo. So there's a lot of guys that have potential and, and Jazante Murray, as we've discussed being a like 
being a very ball dominant guard, I think this opens up a lot of opportunities for the younger guys, which I think can be a good thing for the Spurs if they were if they were um, determined to move on from Murray at this point while his value was still high. So good move overall for the Spurs in terms of financials and um, return on the deal based on current situations and roster makeup, in my opinion. Yeah, the Spurs were definitely a bit at like a crossroads with Murray because um, he was on a really good deal. Was, I think it was like it's it went from like 15 to 17 million over four years or 14 um, point about 14.2 to like 17.7 by um, 20, 2023, 2024. Um, and he's probably DeJounte Murray is definitely a guy that's going to you know demand the max, I think, from the team that he's going to be on or he's going to go try to find it in the open market. So the Spurs, you know, might have not wanted to do that especially with just how their team is looking over these next two to three years um so yeah i think just like trading murray before it got to that final year of his contract where they still have a decent amount of leverage um they got a really good just like pick return so yeah i think yeah definitely good business on the spurs part um yash you have anything to add on this front uh not really uh i think like you guys said the the spurs set themselves up for the future well with their draft picks not only this year but if they if they do poorly this uh this upcoming season uh they're set up to to end up at the top of next year's draft uh which maybe we'll get into in a future pod but it's said to be one of the best in in recent years um so san antonio yeah they sold high on Dejounte murray but uh, i think they set themselves up pretty well for uh, this next stage in their franchise tanking for webinyama vic Victor or Scoot Henderson or Scoot Henderson or Scoot, Henderson. Yep. adding a lot of guards there, but you know, they're both, both great prospects. Yama will be great there. Cause they kind of, I mean, he could play the four next to Pirtle and then, you, you know, can, and then you come playoff time, then you shift Pirtle to the uh, bench and the closing lines. You have Webinyama at the five. Like, I think that, that's a, pre- that's pretty good. And then, you know, maybe one of their, like a Devin Vassell will hit or something like that. Um, now you have like a pretty good team. So I think name, they're set up pretty well and they have so many picks. So name a better duo than the San Antonio Spurs and an international wing prospect. And, you know, that's just kind of, that's kind of their jam right there. I mean, they've gone through so many guys you think about, like, I know they still have a stash from like two years ago. What was his name? Um, Luca Samanich. I don't even know if he's made an appearance in the NBA. You know, he, like, he did. He was in a stash. Uh, he's out of the league. Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) they do. All I know is they do love their, they love their international guys and everyone loves Wembenyana. So it'll be interesting to see how that, how that pans out with their arsenal of picks. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, You talked a bit about the, like the Spurs young, let's let's talk about from this from the Spurs perspective. How about that? Because you talked a lot about like the Hawks fit. Um, So, you know, the Spurs get Danilo Gallinari. I don't know what's going to happen with that um might he might get stretched or waived i don't i don't know maybe they'll keep him around um we'll see we'll see about that um yeah obviously you know they get the huge dosage of picks yeah so i guess we we did talk about this a little bit about the spurs perspective but anything else to add well i was also gonna add i i remember this as you brought up danilo galinari's i think they're yeah probably gonna stretch wave or buy i I don't think they are because this is this is his last year of his deal okay so they'll probably see that out yeah. But if I remember correctly, this deal leaves San Antonio with about $25 million in cap space, which is good in terms of if they want to make any other moves. But it also, if their goal is to acquire picks, it leaves a little bit of flexibility, acquiring dead contracts, acquiring, you know, I mean, maybe 
maybe someone gets shuffled around again and they can acquire more um, draft capital. But no, I like, I just like what this does opening up the offense because they've added a lot of ball handlers. I mean, even Keldon Johnson in a role last year was kind of getting a little more on ball stuff. Um, not so much Vassell, but then if you add Malachi Branham, who was big, big pick and roll guy at Ohio State, Blake Wesley also, but I think it'll be interesting to see how they decide to use those two. And then um, also, uh, oh, I'm blanking on a, there was another point guard. Uh, oh, Josh Primo. I mean, Josh Primo is not really an on-ball guy, but um, it'll be interesting to, oh, and um, sorry, this was the other guy, top 10 pick, Jeremy Sohan from Baylor, who everyone loves point forward kind of, you know, playmaking ability with, um, with that in the front court and what can he do with the ball in his hands. So just getting, not getting rid of Murray, because obviously Murray was phenomenal for them, but that that just opens up a lot more possessions and opportunities for these guys to, especially if the Spurs are trying to head towards more of a young core and build from the ground up again with the picks, you give a lot of guys opportunities to kind of shine in a more ball dominant role. And it'll be, uh, it'll, you'll see, you'll be able to see which one comes out uh, successful and can take that to the next level. So. Josh, you have anything to add for the Spurs? No, I was just interested to see what you guys thought of Jeremy Sohan's fit. Like he was, I, I, from what I've heard, he's more of a, a complimentary guy, but now he's in a position where he's going to be given more reps and more time with the ball. So I was, I was, I was interested to see what you guys thought of, you know, what could be, uh, what he could do these next couple of years. Yeah. Um, well, oh, you go, Gavin, you go. go well, ahead. I was just going to, I know I watching him at Baylor, there was a lot. That was kind of the whole draw with Sohan is I like, I like to make the, I think the comparison in sense of a forward playmaking, like phenomenon is it's kind of like Scotty Barnes where he's like point forward. He'll push it in transition. He's not, he's not as like, athletically gifted or like ferocious as scotty barnes or as aggressive like the way scotty barnes plays like powerful in transition but the way that he'll get a board and he'll put it down and he'll like drive the floor in transition and push it and they had kendall brown who was great and they were kind of running like that but um but i think that it'll be interesting to see if that's what they decide to do i think connector is definitely his best title but he's really like he can, he can also be a guy who you put the ball in his hands, limited volume. And if Keldon Johnson's the main guy and Josh Primo is a guy, and then you sprinkle in the other rookies somewhere around there, but then you also give him his reps. I think that it could be that that could be something that's successful. I think, I think this will just be a situation of kind of feeling it out and seeing he's very versatile. So there's a lot of different things with that um, San Antonio can do with them. Uh, I don't think they're limited to just one option, which is, I think their goal at this point, as they head towards a more a younger core with uh, more uh, upside and unknowns, but I like I like the potential there, and I think he can be very successful under uh, Popovich, who I'm sure has some creative ideas of how to use him. Yeah, I think defensively though, for him, that's that's going to be his calling card. Um, I think he he moves really well in the perimeter, despite being like a oh he's six. Listen at six nine. I thought he was like six eight. But he's just at like a, a six nine. But from what I've heard, he can like fight over screens. He can guard like every position. So just like a really versatile defender. Um, here, let's shift to something a little more just like 
big picture, our judgment of the trade. So um, if you were, let's just do it from the Hawks perspective. I think that's a little more interesting because that's kind of more like the win now situation. Um, so if you're the Hawks, like, I don't know, would you, would you have made this deal? You think? I, I guess I'll take that. There's a lot of context missing, like who else is out there, things like that. But like, yeah, Josh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think I would have. Uh, I think, I mean, primarily because from all, all eras point to Trey wanting this, Trey wanting DeJounte on his team for a while as well. Um, and, you know, this Hawks team had gotten the taste of uh, the playoffs, the taste of, you know, what it, what it takes to win at the highest level, but they've also had disappointments. Uh, and when you have someone like as gifted as Trey, you need to surround him as, with as much help as possible uh, as soon as you can. Um, and, and I think, yeah, this, this move was just necessary just to, to, to really just, first of all, to make Trey happy, but, uh, to really push, push or move the needle for them. Um, even if it doesn't take them to like contending heights, it, uh, it gives them a winning foundation. Um, and, and it also gives you flexibility in the future if this, if this ultimately doesn't work out, but I think it was necessary to capitalize on their time period right now and focus on winning. Uh, I agree. I mean, it's, it's hard to look at it. Cause like you just, I feel like for two unprotected picks and then a swap and then a, a next year, first round, it just feels like a lot for a first time all-star just this season, especially considering like what we talked about that defensively he's, he had a great season, but he's fallen off a little bit, like all things considered. I, but all saying all that, I would have done this deal as well. I think, when you have a player like Trey and I mean, you've paid him and he's there and he's your guy, you got to do what you, what is necessary to put these pieces around him and push all your chips to the middle and see what you can do with that. And I mean, I, it's, I mean, who knows what's going to happen, especially with Beal declining his player option and a bunch of other stars up for contracts and doing all this, but you know, you knew for a fact that with this, with this, um, package of assets that you could get an all-star caliber player back and I think in Atlanta's position that you have to you had to make this move and to to keep your superstar happy and to give you a chance to make that final push into the playoffs I don't know if DeJounte Murray is going to be that player but you you had to do you had to do something when you when you have a generational talent and so I can't fault the Hawks for that I I mean I think the price was a little steep but I, I can see why they did it yeah, so kind of the way I was thinking about it, it's not really a question of whether he's worth like that specific price um, the Hawks had to pay with like the multiple first round picks. Um, it's more, is it worth it to go all in on this one guy being DeJounte Murray as your marquee acquisition for probably the foreseeable future? Um, because now they moved those 2025 and the 2027 first. I don't think they, they can't trade a pick for at least a few years. So this is going to probably be their guy. Like, I know they have some, like, they have some young guys. Like, they have Okongwu, they have Sharif Cooper, they have Jalen Johnson. Um, they can maybe package that with, like, a mid-sized deal from a, from a Bogdanovich or a Herder and try to get something else good. But I think Murray just, like, might be their high-level signing for the next two to three seasons is my going to – we're not signings, but acquisitions. Um, but that's going to be – that's my kind of my guess. Um, and Jonte, he you know, he took the the 15-point, the 20 – a 20 plus point um per game leap so you know maybe he'll take another one of those like although demar did leave so 
Um, Murray kind of became their guy. Maybe they're, I'm trying to think where else like he could take a step up um, to put them in some sort of like deep playoff contention. Cause right now, like just thinking about it. So let's think big picture with the other teams. So Milwaukee's still, you know, still Giannis, Middleton, Holiday. Um, the Nets, Katie, Kyrie are coming back. We know how dangerous they are. The Celtics are coming off a finals appearance. Um, Miami, we'll see what happens with like age regression, um, things like that. But, you know, they're still, they're always going to be a really good team. And they, they really obliterated the, uh, the Hawks this year. I'm trying to think who else, who else on the East is looking to take the Sixers, Sixers, Harden, Embiid, um, Cavaliers might take another leap. So I'm trying to think, where do you guys think the Hawks kind of fit in that sort of like the Eastern conference hierarchy right now after this move? Yeah, I think, yeah, all those, or the majority of the teams you listed, I'd have over Atlanta. I think the the Hawks are in that, like, bottom six to eight range in, in the East, uh, like, in in line with, like, Cleveland um, and, and whoever's, whoever ends up around there. Uh, in Cleveland, Chicago, you know, teams like that. Uh, I think the, the, this move doesn't move them up to, like, that contending stratosphere with where I think they're like four or five other teams like that that are in contention in the East, uh, but it puts them in that like middle of the middle towards end of the pack in the East for me. Um, yeah, I would, I would agree. I would also add to the, I think you listed six or seven teams, probably the Raptors too. I mean, with Siakam and Barnes and all the different pieces they have, I'd probably, probably have them ahead of the Hawks at this point. That, that one's a little closer, but I'd, I'd have them ahead. Um, I agree. Probably like, seven to eight range, maybe even a play in situation. I, 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 that's what, that's why I struggle a lot with the package they gave up. And like the move is that it's just, I, I like what Josh said, like it doesn't really move the needle. I don't think clum come playoff time. Is this going to really be what puts them over the top? Or is like, is DeJounte Murray the player that would have got them by Miami? I mean, obviously all hypothetical and, who fits here and who's matchups and all of that. But when you consider it, like is DeJounte Murray, the guy who would have taken them to the next level or got them past one of those pre- premier teams. And I, I struggle to say that he will, and that's what concerns me. But like I said, I also understand from Atlanta's perspective, why you needed to do this. And, you know, obviously Trey Young's not going anywhere. You have to, make a make a marquee move and like you said matt this probably this is probably their marquee move for the next two to three years barring a a john collins trade where they get someone back or whatnot but you had to push all your chips to the middle but i don't know how much this really really like put them over the top and put them in the same stratosphere as the elite in the east personally yeah i mean i think it's definitely going to take a leap internally the hawks particularly on the defensive end um, and then for DeJounte Murray, maybe some sort of progression in his, like, off-the-catch shooting. Um, it's, I mean, it's not really his game, though. That's that's the thing. Um, I mean, there's obviously, like like you said earlier, with, like, the handoff stuff and attacking off the catch gets downhill well. Um, but is that really going to be worth, like, them going from around, like, a, they were had 43 wins last year. Maybe they jump up to 50 from that, like. I don't yeah. see that. I don't know. It's, it's tough. I'm not, the thing is, I'm not confident enough to say it. I might just also be underestimating what's going on, but I'm just not confident enough to say that. And they gave up 
three first round picks for it. You know, they gave up all their draft, pretty much all their draft equity for like the next two to three years. So it's, it's I will say, oh, sorry. No, you go, you go, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I think about in terms of, I, I mentioned it early in the podcast about Trey Young in terms of how the Hawks used him on ball. It was very heliocentric and like high volume from the start of the game to the finish. And I remember this kind of reminiscent about like when the Dallas Mavericks, when they had Luca in this offense with um, Rick Carlisle, and he would just be, he would on ball, on ball throughout the whole game. And his efficiency, especially in the playoffs, when they, when they first round exit, not this year, but the year before when they, when they made the playoffs, but then they clearly weren't ready for it. They made a first round exit because Luca would get progressively more and more tired and fatigued and become less efficient and they had no other alternatives. And then you think about it this year and Dallas made a strong run going up against the Suns and, you know, like making a strong push. And because they added a player that can take the pressure off their superstar, like Jalen Brunson, what Jalen Brunson was able to do with the ball, not saying that Jay, that DeJounte Murray will be able to have that same effect. Or also not saying Luka Doncic and Trey young are the same player. I mean, I, I would have, Luka Doncic far ahead of Trey Young in terms of superstar potential, but that's besides the point. But in turn, my point is that adding another ball handler just to take the pressure off Trey Young, not only does this elevate the Hawks as a team, but it elevates your star player and it elevates what he's going to be able to do when you need him the most, which that, that you can't really factor in. And that's kind of be something that you see late in the playoffs when it was just like the game's on the line and, Hopefully Trey Young will have gotten the rest he needed or won't have been so worn out through the through the first first uh, 40 minutes of the game that he'll be able to create something. So in that sense, I, I like what this move does for the Hawks in terms of providing more balance for their offense and giving it a little more uh, give it, taking taking a load off of Trey Young's shoulder, uh, shoulders. Josh, have anything to add? Yeah, uh, I think, yeah, last point. I think this puts a lot of pressure on Nate McMillan, too. Uh, just, just tinkering with things, uh, being creative in his usage. Uh, I think that something that really plagued them in that Miami series was the stagnancy. Uh, when Trae Young had the ball, there wasn't really any second side action, any uh, anything involving, uh, you know, because the Hawks did have some offensive talent, uh, like Boyan Bogdanovic. Uh, or yeah, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Kevin Herter, uh, they really, there really just wasn't any usage uh, to occupy the defense when Trey had the ball and that made things even tougher. Uh, so when you add in like a, a worse shooter uh, than either of them with like DeJounte Murray, uh, who defenses will be more than content to, to help off of, uh, you're going to need to figure out like uh, creative ways to get everyone involved and, uh, you know, not, not have a repeat of last year's uh, performance versus Miami. Uh, so I'm interested to see what he does uh, moving forward and that, that that'll ultimately decide where they, where they end up in the Eastern conference. Very, very last, like kind of more of a specific point, but like the Hawks were a lot of like stagger stuff, like off ball, like they're just like used that for like bogey Kevin Herter. Um, and they'll just like play out of that. And when Trey, like just to get Trey off the ball for a bit, and the issue with those is that just like Miami can just like switch those or anything can they, they can just switch those because those guys are not beating anyone off the dribble, especially Bogdan with all his knee problems. But instead of those becoming just like stagger, like trying to get a contested three off or turns to like a step back, like those are going to turn into like DeJounte kind of getting downhill 
and then getting a kick out for another guy um, for more of a set shot, which is like more easier. So I think, I think that's kind of the way, like that's kind of how I'm envisioning this is going to, or should work out. Um, and maybe that'll bolster their, or diversify their offensive attack enough. Um, and then with, obviously with all he brings in the defensive end, maybe that could help elevate them to that like 51 level. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to see about that. Um, so yeah, I think we're going we're gonna to wrap it up here. Thank you for listening to everyone. Um, this, is, this was the Hawks DeJounte Murray uh, trade podcast. Um, we'll probably do a few more of these um, in the future, which is like these specific transactions. We did go a little long on this. It's like 8, 8.38 p.m. right now. We, we weren't supposed to go that long, but you know, we were talking hoops, so that's how it is. All right, thank you for listening, everyone, and we'll see you guys later.